You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Ryan Takaba. Ryan, thanks so much for being with me today. Well, thank you. Let's see, it's November 16th in 2021. You're in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we're going to talk about your work and, and what's going on, but what's, what's the last year been like for you? Um, uh, how, how have things been in, in terms of your practice and, uh, and where you are? Yeah, the, uh, well, as far as the, the year COVID, um, I'm going through a lot of changes at my, my school that I work at, and so that's, that's been a little hectic lately. Uh, prior to that, I finished the exhibition that was open that opened in November of 2020, and then closed six months later. So it was an extended show due to limited capacity, timed entries. Uh, so I did that, and then uh, during my off time, I I spent a lot of time in my garden, and I have a, a we have, my wife and I both have a bigger lot that, that has a lot of fruit trees. And we had a, a really bad winter storm in Texas, which hadn't snowed like that kind of snow since. I felt like I was in New England for well, like a long period of time that there was snow on the ground, which I haven't seen prior to to being on the East Coast. So I had to break out uh, winter clothes that I haven't worn in years. I didn't have the right shoes anymore. I still had my snowboarding pants, which is nice because... We did. I did have to scrape quite a bit of snow, and and I have a shovel that I use for snow snow plowing, I guess. But it's mainly a, a shovel I use in the garden. So I was able to to manage, and but w- what that produced was a really amazing spring. And these trees that I have, I have a, an apple tree, a couple plum trees, and a pear tree. And I haven't seen, we've only been in this, this property for a couple of years, so the plum tree was the first time I've seen it produce an enormous amount of fruit, and you know, beautiful flowers, and the pear tree produce a lot of good fruit this season. So that winter was good in that sense for the fruits. And, and the garden, too, mm-hmm. during the pandemic, you spent more time in the, in the garden, so that meant what was coming out of the garden? How was that different? Yeah, I guess maybe maybe I should rephrase that. So maybe it's more of a yard, but uh, mm. not not vegetable garden, more of a fruit urban garden with a lot of fruit trees. Right, so that's have, cool. That's cool. And, yeah. and and so and your work, were you were you weren't teaching then, or how did that affect your practice and your and your work? Obviously, at school, everything would, was changing or or going yeah. remote, right? Yeah. And I, I, I teach at a, currently at a small art school, independent art school. And there's a small college program as well as some community classes. Uh, the, we did have a shutdown and then went back in person with small classes uh, since that, that spring, I think, of 2021, the, the, the actual, actual year of 2021. So that January was, we were back. So we shut down. We were only remote from March. And then I started back up again in in the spring, 2021 year. 
And so yeah, you're so working, I, I have think, you been uh, working, have you, so, so, you, so you've been working in that time? Well, yeah, tell me about your, your studio or what's happening there. How did it affect that? So I had a, well, I was trying to, you know, I think one, one thing was I knew I had a deadline in 2020. This was prior to uh, beginning to COVID. So I was, I was already working up towards that deadline in November of 2020. And at, as soon as the shutdown happened, I sort of went into a little bit of a panic because I needed to get some materials, and and it it probably wasn't as bad as it as it or happened or as it's now like where with some delays. But I wasn't sure if I was able to get certain materials, so I ended up buying a little bit more and then started working. I had being remote, I had more time in the studio to to be able to be more flexible, to go back and forth from class to the studio work. And then I was able to put together this exhibition in November. It was uh, an installation in a at this place called Blue Star Contemporary in San Antonio. And so the, the space is quite large, but it's divided up into smaller spaces. So I had one of the middle spaces, I guess. And what I did was I closed off that room or made it into a room and I drop the ceiling. So the the ceiling looked like a traditional tile ceiling frame, but I installed it with paper. So it was, it was all these paper panels on the ceiling with diffused light. And then I closed the room to one single doorway. And then in that space, I had three forms based on the, the basic geometric forms. So the, the cube, the pyramid, and, and the sphere. And then those those three forms also resembled some elements of flight. So the the cube was made into a box kite. It's, it's one of these old traditional forms of kite making where they were the beginnings of a, a canvas wing plane. Like the, the double box kite eventually became the winged airplane. And so I made one part of it which swiveled. It was just one big cube. And that cube the sails of the kite were made on four panels out of ivory roses that were glued together to make each panel and then fixed to the cube. Uh, and then over time, that cube would shrink based on the tension of the flowers. So as the flowers shrank, the cube would twist and it eventually turned into something more like a rhombus, but in more three-dimensional form, sort of like a diamond-like rhombus. And so that, over the course of the six months, that piece changed and... The second piece was a parachute form that was made out of wax panels. So it was a metal frame with a wick wound around it and then cast in wax. So I had four panels of the pyramid cast in wax and then that was lit. And over the course of the show, it would it would be lit every so many days. That wax would melt. You would see this sort of tethered effect from the wick. The wick has a zinc coating in it and so that core of the zinc still sort of left or would hold some of the wax that was dripping sort of on it so it's imagine like the imagery as if a, this parachute had got gone through like a storm or something that's sort of the imagery and then the last piece was this balloon about a 32 inch big spherical balloon that I inflated with helium and then uh, burned about 200-something grams of incense and then dusted it onto the balloon by fixing it with a binder, like a natural binder. So those three forms would 
be set in the installation. And then as you walked in, you would, your presence or your displacement of the space. So if your body moves through it, then you, you're displacing some of that air and that airflow, depending on how fast you walk through it would activate the ceiling because it's paper. So you get this fluttering noise or it sort of roll down the, towards the, from the front to the back. And that would sort of, this, that displacement of air would then move around the room through the paper. Uh, it would start activating some of the other pieces depending on how, how in proximity of where you are into relation to the balloon. And then eventually that air sort of moves out. And then when you're in the space, it moves out of the doorway. And when you're in the space, you, you would see what's happening with these objects. The most active of the objects was the balloon. So if you... Uh, walked past it, that air draft would cause the balloon to move. <clears throat> and it was, I had placed it in equilibrium with... So just with walking the by the balloon, it, 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 it oh, would move because the balloon is so large. Yeah. And depending on where it was, so if it was heavily weighted with enough ash, it would just sort of hover right over the ground. And if some of the ash came off of it, then it would slowly rise. Eventually it would get to the sea and then come back down based on when that helium has left the balloon and then sort of start that cycle again. So depending on when you saw it and when you were in the space, you you may have seen the balloon like mid, mid-level mid and it would sort of brush up against the other objects. The, the cube would start twisting more over a few weeks and then that candle piece eventually would see a lot of wax on the ground and a lot of wax still hanging on the form. So let's talk about and, those uh, three pieces yeah. then. And so, so, oh, yeah, go on, go on because it, it's this oh, no, kind think, of yeah. be, be, be beautiful movement and, you know, the pieces are kind of evolving, you know, the the wax and the, and, and the box kite-like form and the, and the, and the balloon as well as the ceiling. So, so tell me a little bit more about that, that the person who's coming in there, the viewer, feels an effect mm-hmm. kind of on, on and everything around them. Is, is, is that... Like one of the main feelings, it would seem to me I'd want to move slowly in there. I wouldn't would be sure quite how to move because it's a very kind of delicate environment in a way. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I guess one one thing that was happened at this time that probably would never have happened is that th- there was just less people in the gallery or the, you had a timed entry, so you had to make an appointment. So it, it was really a space for one person. And and sometimes when you have big openings, it's just hard to control that other than forming a line. But this was able to happen naturally due to the situation we're in. And, you know, it also has to deal with um, personal space and your space within a, in a space and how those objects are, you react to those objects or inter- interact with those objects. And it comes from, I've been, thinking a lot about this for the past for about 10 years so I, I uh, about ritual daily ritual about how one interaction with objects uh, makes you you think about something or believe things and a, a lot of this comes from observations of my grandmother who who was was mourning my grandfather when when he passed and had a a personal altar in her bedroom. And that altar 
had these three elements. It had a flower arrangement, it had a candle, and it had incense. So every day she would uh, sort of visit him through this daily prayer. And and it was something that I just observed every time I was went to visit her. And so over that course of 10 years, uh, the last 10 years of her life, I, I thought about it and, and then sort of eventually uh, started making work based on that idea of one's interaction with these personal objects in a personal space and how that space is then transformed or activated based on uh, beliefs and what happens metaphysically maybe. So I was trying to translate that experience to somebody at their in their personal space to a larger space, but also it's a personal space as well. And these three objects are, are moving as well as the ceiling based on what you do and what you what you bring to the piece. That's very interesting, yeah. And, and, and I mean, in a, in a very physical way, the other way that you were just talking about was almost in a kind of energetic way, in a psychic way, or you said in a metaphysical way, like people have relationships to objects. They have a history with them or something, and, mm-hmm. it, and, it, and it carries a weight almost that perhaps we can feel walking into the room, even though it's not pronounced, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yours are about that as well as a physicality? I mean, it seems to me to be very physical, but there, is there also an element of, of what these shapes are kind of imbued with, like a meaning that they have for you or uh, something like that? Yeah, I wanted to think about the, the three objects on the altar and think of them sculpturally, think of them as other forms. Mm-hmm. So I referenced early aviation objects so that that balloon, the idea of the weather balloon. So the weather balloon, 18th century, 1800s, you know, prior to being able to send or have satellites, and you just go up in a balloon, and or you'd send the balloon to. So if you were in the balloon, the hot air balloon, you would you would just float around, take readings of spaces that you, you can't access. Other than that, uh, the weather balloon device would would go up with with uh, a kite to steer it back down and then a parachute to have it float. So I was looking at those three elements that are connected in this one object and they also do things. So one floats, one flies, and one falls. And so that three elemental cycle as well as thinking of the passing of somebody or the, the, the afterlife, how somebody thinks about that in these spaces, personal spaces, and so it sort of started from observations of, of that, of, of watching, especially somebody that's older, because I think they're uh, they're less maybe aware of what what they're they're doing. Maybe because as you age, like your hearing changes, your your ideas of who's watching you maybe change. So you're a little bit more uh, open to to doing things that you might not have done when you were younger. Mm. And so I've just sort of seen that with, with uh, an elderly family member. I like those words. It floats, it flies, or it falls. You know, that's, that's, that's so nice sounding um, and feels like, you know, a theme feels, you know, poetic, um, but also in a sense brings all that together in, in such an interesting way. 
when you're putting together a show like this, does it does it start with something like that? You know, it it floats, it flies, it falls, or it falls. I I, I love that. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. is that how you uh, are approaching this? Because that's a that's a kind of, I mean, to me, that's a it's an overarching kind of feel, theme, tone that but now I can see easily in that, and 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 that's kind of really lovely. So just wondering, is that part of kind of the architecture of this, how you start, how you think about them, or how they come together? Uh, now I do, but prior to the development, development of the work, I, I think it, it wasn't there until I started, I saw the, the full image made and experience and being able to, to see what's going on with the work and then I realized that actually things were there that I, I wrote down in the past, but I think I kind of wrote that, but I didn't think about it for a while. Hmm. And, and I was looking at what, what materials do. And I think I had wrote like the, the flowers shrink and the, the ashes is floating or precarious and uh, the, the wax is melting. So I knew that these, these elements or these materials would do something functionally. And I wanted to play off of the functionality of material, but then take that and transform it and use the functionality to do something visually. Uh, and then I think the, the seeing those objects and then also asking myself what those objects do, I think that's when I, I started th- really thinking about it that way. And, I, I, and that was like a nice surprise because it, it actually, it's, it sounds right too. And I, and I, as far as like an imagery, like because it's so metaphoric for what it, you could think of it in other ways, and uh, uh, also what 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 it does. So there's an obvious way to translate it, of because these objects are made to do that. But then you can look beyond that to larger ideas. I like that, and 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 let's talk a little bit about Blue Star Contemporary. That's where this exhibition was that we're talking about. Um, is that a nonprofit? What's what's their um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of it, framework yeah. or, or their perspective? Yeah, it's a it's a nonprofit. They curate shows. They have the exhibitions curator who I've worked with to curate the show, uh, and they put together usually a local artist and then some national international artists and try to show it all together in one big exhibition with multiple rooms within that space. So it's it started off as a big warehouse. Uh, and and I think at that point, at, at one point, it was. I don't quite remember what it was used for, but it was started in the '80s by artists, and then eventually has sort of grown and now has has taken on a, a premier venue in, in San Antonio. So it anchors this whole well, area of the South Southtown Arts Complex. Well, it sounds, I mean, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't been to San Antonio, so I don't know it well, but it, it sounds like uh, one of the foundations of a, of a supportive artist community. I mean, you know, that um, that there's a, a community that's, that supports something like that, and also uh-huh. they're putting on, on great shows, right? It seems like a great a great resource. Yeah, it's, I, I really like the staff. I really like their vision. I think they, they are... They are that um, a really supportive institution as far as, as as the anchor of the art community, San Antonio. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, well, 
I'm glad we talked about that show. That sounds really interesting um, and beautiful, really, and poetic. I, I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? Is there anything particular you're reading that... Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I was reading a book on the enclosed garden or the ideas of landscapes, a theory on landscape. Those are the last sort of two that I, I really delved into. And then I, I just purchased a couple of books, one that's been around for a while, but it's called Stuff Matters. And I've been really interested in just some materials. And there's another book called Dis- Disappearing Spoon, which is the periodic table of the elements. But it's looking at it from uh, the history of it. You know, it's more of not your traditional chemistry side, and, but looking at it as ideas or materials. And I haven't, I haven't started those books yet, uh, but that's sort of my winter reading. But, but actually, I just read an article in the Atlantic today, and it happened to... So it's fresh in my mind because it happened to do... It, ha, it has to do with... Um, it's a ritual, and let me just see. I just have to look on my phone to see the actual title of the article. But I thought it was interesting as far as what what I'm working with, the ideas I'm working with. But it's talking about more of the, the hygiene theater, and so it's called the, the upside of COVID hygiene theater. So it, basically, it's it's talking about the things that has changed us and what we do and what we believe. So, for example, the temperature check. Some people still do the temperature check. Some people still wear masks outside. Some people still do things that at one point we weren't sure. And then as you get more data, you you can come to a better conclusion. But sometimes those habits or those rituals, those daily rituals, either keep us safe, feel safe, or they convey a certain message to somebody else that we, we think of you, we take care of you. And so that that has now come back into part of our life, even though you may have an understanding that maybe we don't need to do it, but there's something that keeps us comfortable in doing it. And, and uh, so I just had thought that was interesting because I've been looking at daily ritual, but more from a an observation of somebody's spiritual daily rituals, but also how the how something like an, an installation, like this, these sculptures that I made, this installation, it's really a pondering of on scientific reason and like why things might do things. But there's also this unknown or this chance or this belief in something too. So this power that you do, you put on something that you believe that things are are doing something that might have in a a way to explain it, but it also sort of, it, it's hovering between this sort of chance. Like, it just depends on also what's happening in the space. The, the controlled space is not always the same. So mm-hmm. so there's something that won't always work, even though you think it should based on some kind of reason. And so reading this article has made me think of that in this, in this work in a different way and also what's happening now you know, as we go further and further along through the pandemic, how these things may change. And I guess something I didn't realize is Passover was a, a, a holiday that was created based on, you know, many rituals persist long after the initial danger passes. So it's become an extended process. So they're using Passover as one of the examples where the 
Israelites in, were enslaved by Egypt, and then the, the fight to freedom is remembered each year in a ritualized meal. Uh, right. And I guess maybe they're trying to, to trying to see, like you know, maybe generations past might not feel the same feeling, but we'll still do these rituals. So like maybe a generation later is still going to either carry some of these things that COVID, have, like the Great Depression has has created or famines have created. And then, you know, slowly those things get faded away as, as cycles or things change. But you might still hang on to certain things. And there, so the, the article is questioning, would we hang on to certain things that we are doing now? That's so interesting. Um Ryan, I want to thank you for talking with me today. Thanks for doing the work you're doing, and um, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brain. It was nice to talk to you, and thank you for inviting me. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>